2: Uh, brought to you by Gerson Health Media at gersonmedia dot com. I'm your host Howard Strauss, and in keeping with our uh, with our regular um, um, with our regular program, we are having a great guest on today. Uh, Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez has been on the show before, and um, he, he is. If anybody is familiar with. Um, with with holistic healing and health, you will know about Dr. Nick Gonzalez. Uh, Nick Gonzalez took over the um, took over the Kelly treatment, um, and and has been has been uh, using the Kelly treatment for uh, for many years with great success with pancreatic cancer and many other kinds of cancer. But pancreatic, of course, is the most spectacular because. Pancreatic is virtually incurable and very rapidly killing by any other um, by any other uh, means. Um, Dr. Gonzalez um, w- uh, trained as a as a regular oncologist, um, but got got wind of the Kelly treatment um, that was developed by uh, a dentist named uh, named Kelly in uh, in Texas and decided he wanted to see if there was anything to it or if he could debunk it. And when he went and did research on it, honest, straightforward research, he found there was really something to it. Um, Since then, he's been under constant, heavy, and incredibly corrupt attack by the conventional medical establishment, uh, by pharmaceutical companies, by the government, by literally everybody Involved who should be looking for a cure to cancer. When they find it, they want to crush it. Some years ago, about eight years ago, um, Dr. Gonzalez uh, got wind that uh got word that the National uh, Institutes of Health, National Cancer Institute, wanted to actually do a clinical trial of his uh, of his therapy. And um, when they actually did put together such a trial. The first sign that uh, that the first sign that it took that that it gave that something might actually work that it might not be a failure uh, swung the whole establishment into into powerful action, and that was not to uh, not to look and, and grab onto it and run with it, but to crush it at that first opportunity and in every way possible. Uh, Dr. Gonzalez has written a book about that incredible experience. Incredible experience, thoroughly documented, quoting uh, lengthy correspondence between him and all of the people in, that should have been uh, fairly evaluating and promoting this uh, this trial, and um, and he, he's called it "What Went Wrong." Dr. Gonzalez, uh, welcome to the program, and let's talk about. What Went
3: Wrong. Howard, thanks so much for having me on your show again. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and chat. It's an um, honor. And, well, I cherish our friendship, and I certainly appreciate the opportunity to talk about what went wrong and, indeed, what went wrong, <laughs> really went wrong. Uh, so it's, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to get the word out. Well,
2: should... you know, you're, the, uh, the the trial, as I recall, was initiated by, uh, by an inquiry from Nestle. Is that correct?
3: Well, there was a first pilot study, a Phase two study, that Nestle supported and funded um, that was done under the aegis of the National Cancer Institute at their suggestion in 1993, and that was very successfully run. Um, I was basically more involved with organizing that with Nestle and a group of oncologists and scientists that we put together it was run by a really eminent group of scientists, and they really wanted to have the study work, and indeed the results were the best results ever published. We published in a peer-reviewed journal, Nutrition and Cancer, the best results ever published for pancreatic cancer. That article came out in 1999. Based on the initial data that was already available in 1998, that's when the National Cancer Institute first got interested in funding a study. And I had a sit-down meeting with the then director of the NCI, Richard Klausner, in Washington, and we spent a couple hours together. Other people at the meeting as well it was held in Congressman Dan Burton's office. He's a re- Republican from Indiana, interested in alternative medicine. And Klausner looked me in the eye and said, uh, "You know, based on this pilot study information, we want to do a controlled, large-scale, fair, honest, honorable study." And I absolutely believe Dr. Klausner had every intention that this study, as it was initially set up, would be all those things. Otherwise, I never would have gotten involved. People say, "Why did you get involved with this?" Um, I believe Dr. Klausner. The trouble is, about a year later. He was out of the NCI, off to a private foundation, and the new team that was assigned to the study, um, uh, let's say they were less enthusiastic than the initial team. In fact, the people that were really supportive of doing the study initially, uh, several of them were moved right, right off the study when the new team came in. In fact, it, one of Was the people, it
2: possible that uh, Dr. Klausner was also uh, moved off that team for that reason?
3: Well, I don't, you know, I, I don't think that my study would, I, he just went on to what he thought, was, you know, very very often the people at the, who had these government organizations go into industry or private foundations because there's more money there. Of course. And I, I have a feeling, it had nothing to do with me. Um, were there people at the NCI that probably thought he'd flipped his lid by supporting a study of my work? Oh, well, I'm sure there were. I know there was. I, there, were, there were people as early as the 90, or mid-1990s when the first positive pilot study data was being talked about who who wanted a fund to fund a study, but there were other people at the NCI, I know because I was told this by NIH insiders, people who worked at the NIH, who didn't want anything to do with me or fund a study, because by definition if you do something alternative, it has to be fraudulent. It can't be real. It just can't be by definition. How that translates into objective science beyond my comprehension.
2: Well, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't that, wouldn't it would strike me, and I've thought about this a lot, it would strike me that if they really thought it was fraudulent, if they really thought it was a sham and was uh, was so useless, wouldn't they have wanted to have a study? Because that would have proved once and for all that you were a total fraud and sham and, and
3: uh, there was nothing worthwhile. Um, It makes perfect sense to me, but you're assuming a level of intelligence and intellectual (laughs) subtlety that I don't think they have down there in Washington. Uh, You know, we all think of the people at the NIH as these brilliant scientists who are looking for the cure for cancer, and Friday evening they're in their laboratories studying the scientific literature. Actually, most of them are quite lazy. We call it welfare science. It's government work you know their goal in life is to travel to exotic locales at conferences and not really do any real work Um you know we call it the junior high school syndrome you know these are all the guys there are six thousand scientists at the NIH and a few thousand at the NCI the NIH budget is thirty billion a year. The NCI budget six billion. So this is big bucks, and these are, you know, hand chosen scientists. These are all the guys that were the smartest kid in junior high school who won the science award and the Westinghouse this and the Westinghouse that, and all of whom parents said, you know, you're going to find a cure for cancer. Suddenly they're at the NIH with six thousand other people who were the smartest person in junior high school, and none of them are finding a cure for cancer. And after twenty or thirty years, you get tired and bored, and the only, the only goal is to try and enjoy your life because you're not going to win the Nobel Prize. Or very few of them ever do. Um, and they just spend their lives spending taxpayers' money, traveling around the world, going to exotic conferences, and trying to avoid work. We, we call it the welfare science syndrome. So you know, it's, it's a funny place. I don't think they're, they're as subtle as you as you think. But yes, you're absolutely right. To get back to your point, I went off on this wild tangent. But um, yeah, you think if they if they thought it, it's such a funny situation because the, the the critics of alternative medicine say these people don't have the guts, the intelligence, or the Character to do clinical studies. What well, we call their bluff. I said, okay, we'll do clinical studies, and then they said, no, we can't fund these clinical studies because it's quackery. This kind of I would say circular logic, but it's not even circular. It's more like triangular logic. It just bounces around from angle to angle. Yeah. They say alternative well, doctors don't want to do clinical studies, and you say, oh wait, I was trained as a con- I went to three Ivy League schools. I, my boss was president of Sloan Kettering. I know how to do bone marrow transplants. I'll do clinical studies. I was trained in academic research. So, oh no, no, we can't fund that. <laughs> so they talk out of both sides. They talk out of if. The mouth had six sides they would be talking out of all six sides but you're absolutely correct if you want to debunk a well-known uh, famous alternative practitioner like me or the Gerson or you know Gerson follows like your mom you know, fund a trial do a fund trial. trial I mean
2: it shouldn't be all that difficult
3: yeah it's not that and of course when you're dealing with nutritional products like your, like your, uh, the Gerson therapy or my therapy it's not that expensive compared to chemo
2: and not only not that expensive but it but it's not harmful
3: no, it's not harmful. You don't have to hospitalize people because they end up with bone marrow failure from the chemo drug. It's nutritional. It's cheap. So, it's so why, don't you,
2: why don't you quickly uh, just give a, a very short pricey of what
3: your therapy consists of. It involves three basic components. First, individualized diet. Now, um, we use different diets for different patients. We have 10 basic diets, 90 variations. They range from a plant-based, near raw foods, vegetarian, kind of like the Gerson diet, to an Atkins diet. We have patients that we put on red meat a couple times a day and about 90 variations. Every diet is individualized. And we use large doses of supplements. We use the vitamins, minerals, trace elements, glandular extracts. Again, all our, all our supplement programs are specifically designed for each patient's needs. But in addition to the vitamins, minerals, trace elements, we, which we don't think have an anti-cancer effect particularly, we use large doses of pancreatic enzymes, which we believe have an anti-cancer effect, now, Dr. John Beard, the English scientist 100 years ago, as you know, first suggested that pancreatic enzymes have an anti-cancer effect. In an orthodox physiology and medicine, are thought to only be digestive enzymes. They've been known since 1858. we, Beard knew that, but he said above and beyond that they have an anti-cancer effect, and our program involves large doses of orally ingested pancreatic enzymes. And, and by the, the third, way,
2: so does the Gerson therapy, because uh, because we agree with you uh, entirely that uh, the pancreatic enzymes are critical to, well, the, fact, to the question it's,
3: it's, it's, of cancer. In your granddad's first edition of his book back in 1959, he mentions Dr. Beard and talks about pancreatic, illness, and even at that time was putting people on enzymes. Yeah, absolutely, no. Uh, Dr. Gerson was a very smart man who knew the literature and knew all about Dr. Beard's work, which is one of the things when I first read his book 30 plus years ago, I was amazed to see that he, I shouldn't have been amazed, but I said, "Yeah, oh, gosh, he's referring to Dr. Beard. Um... And the third component, which Gerson people know about, is detoxification. One of the mythologies in the alternative world is you throw vitamins and minerals at people, and they're going to get well. Well, that rarely, if ever, happens. If you don't detoxify, you're not going to get somebody well. And these these are just simple procedures like the infamous or famous coffee enemas and liver flushes and juice fasts and colon cleanses that help the body mobilize and neutralize all the junk that's produced as the body repairs and as tumors break down. And there's nothing more toxic to the human body, as Dr. Gerson said 50 years ago, than dead tumor waste. And patients can die from that tumor
2: Absolutely. Be. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of it. Nick, we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to come up uh, on a break here. Uh, in Just a moment. The time is really flying. It's uh, <laughs> great talking yeah. to you. Um, uh, and so, we'll, we'll uh, let me just quickly uh, 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 get out of the get out of the broadcast here, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Uh, so hold hold on to that thought. Uh, This is uh, the power of natural healing. Um, I'm your host, Howard Strauss. uh, Brought to you by Gerson Health Media at gersonmedia.com. We invite you to look into our uh, look into our website, sign up for our free newsletter, and find out about events, guests, broadcasts, uh, new media coming out, new books, and so forth. Uh, And there's always something to find out. So um, please check into gersonmedia.com. We'll be back right after the break with uh, Dr. Nick Gonzalez.
4: You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
5: Have you figured out what's not working in your life? Could you use a little help? Join your host, Tamaron, for Let's Figure It Out. Tamaran has had both highs and lows in her life. She uses her experiences to teach you some basic techniques on how to live a better life through health, relationships, and more. Her guests also come from the health and wellness industry, and together, Tamaran and her guests will help you get your life on the right path. Let's Figure It Out airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
0: If you have a child in your life with autism, there may be a lot of questions that you need answered. What if your child has recently been diagnosed? Or maybe you have a question about treatment that your child is currently undergoing. For answers to these and more, tune into Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. Our guests will include parents and experts to discuss current experiences, treatments, and breakthroughs for those living with autism. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
5: Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network.
4: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
2: at gersonmedia.com we invite you to look into our very very uh interesting website we have put a lot of great information books dvds uh, uh and related information also testimonials from healed patients um that uh, that is all free for uh, for the taking and uh, you can join sign up for our free newsletter as well at the upper right hand corner just send us your email and you'll start getting the newsletter um, we have the great great honor uh, today to have another session with uh, Dr. Nick Gonzalez, um, a, a wonderful alternative practitioner who started out as a uh, standard oncologist in New York City, trained at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Research Center under Robert Good, the father of American immunology, um, and um, a brilliant scientist. And, and I emphasize the word scientist because this man is really a scientist. Uh, he goes where the truth, uh, where, where the facts lead him. He tells the truth. He's looking for the truth, and he finds it. And um, I am I am proud and honored uh, that to consider uh, Doctor Gonzalez a friend. Um, Nick, um, we were we were going to be talking. We wanted to talk about um, the the uh, what happened once your once your uh, uh, results started to show any. Positive cast at all uh, in this in this clinical trial that was eventually funded by the NIH and the NCI
3: well, it was quite interesting again, initially the team that was first assigned to the project really wanted to work, and we were all I thought working together some people out of the NIH that really thought we were onto something, of course, about a year after the study began around uh, 1999, those people were being pulled off. In fact, one of the women from the NIH who was a supporter of being a... She wasn't a cheerleader, but she was a supporter of doing legitimate, honest science, was told that she couldn't even talk to me or she'd be fired. She eventually got so disgusted she quit and went to work for a private foundation. So it got to be that nasty, and believe me, the politics at the NIH and the NCI can get really vicious, and they can, they'll can they turn your career upside down if you don't play by the rules. Um, so we could see that there was a change first in the personnel, and the new people that came on, particularly the people at the National Center for Competent and Alternative Medicine, the people that were signed there, I, I almost had the feeling that they had nothing but contempt for alternative medicine. I found that quite ironic, because that whole office was set up by Harkin, Back in the 1991 time, to, to fairly investigate promising alternative therapies, but then under the new director, director Dr. Strauss at that time, he's now dead. Ironically, died from a brain. Yeah,
2: really ironic. And, and I had I had written to him at the time, uh, and and sent him all of Gerson's material. Oh. I'm sure he had it anyway, but uh, but he totally um, ignored it. He thought it was <laughs> he just thought
3: alternative medicine was. Here's the guy who was head of the National Center for Complementary Medicine. He thought it was all a crock. First right. time I met him. He, he, I met him, at, you know. It's in the book. I talk about how I went up to him at, at this conference down in Washington, where he'd been speaking very, un, very, very unenthusiastically about his new job. And I went up to him, and he was just—he didn't, didn't even say hello to me. He said, he just, wanted, he just wanted me to know that now we'll be doing real science. And he w- turned around and walked away from me. And oh my that's, God. I went home. Uh, this was in Washington, D.C. went home that, that evening and spoke to Dr. Isaacs, my colleague, and said, we're in for a rough time. But, you know, we're so dumb. We were determined that they were going to do legitimate science. We, weren't gonna, we thought they were probably trying to provoke us to quit the study. Then they could say the usual refrain. See, these alternative guys, they don't have the guts, the integrity, to, they don't have the testosterone to do a real clinical study. They're not made out of that We weren't going to quit. We were going to put their nose to it and make sure they did it right. So we could see from the beginning with the new team that was assigned that there was going to be trouble. And then in 2000, you know, initially we were allowed to be involved in the selection of patients for the trial. And the trial was set up as a phase three, which means our therapy was going to be compared to the best available Available chemo in patients with inoperable pancreatic cancer, which, as Howard said earlier, is the the most or one of the most aggressive of cancers, and we were going to be involved with the selection of patients. But then the NCI, in their genius way, said we had to be excluded from anything to do with the approval of patients into the study. We thought that was preposterous because you know we'd been doing this therapy for years, and we you know we we had a good idea of what patients met the criteria. There There were predetermined written criteria in the protocol about what patients. Had to, what patients had to meet in order to be accepted. But we were told no, that if we were involved with the selection of patients, it would enter that insidious, vicious, bi- this bilious um, prejudice into the study. We would, we would taint the study with Oh, and, and heaven
2: forfend there should be any prejudice in the study.
3: Yeah, so what they did is they put John <laughs> Chabot, who is a chief of general surgery at Columbia, in charge. But what they didn't tell us is Dr. Chabot had been involved developing the chemo regimen that was being used against us. Now, they're so concerned about bias from us, but they were totally unconcerned about bias from their own camp, the thinking being is that conventional scientists have impeccable integrity and are incapable of bias Where alternative practitioners by definition are insidious vile, malicious, biased people who would try and sabotage the study for their own selfish ends. The idea that someone who helped develop the chemo regimen was put in charge of the clinical study, that that was of conflict of interest, didn't register in anybody. In fact, we had to find out that that was the case when we began to suspect something was going on funny with the study. So the man who was in charge of all patient entry actually had a motive to make the chemo look better. He helped develop it. So that was, an, that was a conflict of interest that should have clearly precluded him from serving as principal investigator, but he did throughout the entire study. So there were things like that. And then, we be, as you said, we had patients initially that were responding. We had a patient with stage 4 pancreatic cancer where her liver tumors just started melting away. And that's when all hell broke loose. You know, we were taken off the study in terms of selection of patients. That, and we were also told that there would be no appeal if Dr. Chabot approved a patient the patient was approved. There was no one to appeal to, and if we didn't like it, we could essentially quit the study, and then they would release a press release. Gonzalez didn't have the guts integrity to do this, to do the clinical study. So we, we kind of bit our lip, Dr. Isaacs and I, and, and soldiers on, determined that they would do it right. But increasingly, we found that patient after patient was being admitted into the study that didn't meet the protocol requirements. For example, like Gerson therapy. Ours is a purely nutritional therapy. We don't use IVs. We don't use injections. It's all done with oil therapy and diet. Patients have to be able to eat. And advanced pancreatic cancer patients, because the pancreas is a digestive organ, really don't have much of an appetite. So, you know, we have a point of no return. We've, we have many patients with pancreatic cancer that have done well over the last 25 years, but we know what our limits are. If the patient can't eat, they can't do the therapy. Seems obvious. Well, and just actually...
2: like the Gerson therapy, the, the food is the medicine.
3: That's right, and as is in our case. If you
2: can't eat and you can't Can't eliminate, then you can't do the therapy period. That's
3: right, and we know that we turn people down if they can't eat, and if they're so advanced they can't eat, we turn them down. Often they get very annoyed with us. Well, this was written into the protocol, but patient after patient was admitted into the program who couldn't eat. We have patients that never even did the the study, never even did the uh, therapy, but they were still considered Gonzalez treatment failures because, in addition to the other quirks. That were written into the protocol. They wrote a a protocol requirement which made the therapy, uh, gave the therapy an intent to treat provision. And what that simply means is with an intent to treat provision in a clinical trial, it means the second a patient is formally approved for entry, that patient is considered treatment even if they never do the treatment. So patients would be admitted into the therapy to be treated by us. Who were too sick couldn't do it. Yet, because of this intent-to-treat provision, they were considered Gonzales treatment failures. We have the ironic situation that one of the patients assigned to us was so sick he couldn't do it. A few weeks later, he went off to do chemo at Columbia and died. And even though he was being treated by chemo and died on chemo, he was considered a Gonzalez nutritional treatment failure. Well, that's that
2: were Something else that they were doing—you uh, know—it struck me as being th- this struck me with, with as, as being extremely malicious. Was that they would uh, they would vet patients, and once they had decided to admit them into into your study, they would let that decision rest for weeks and weeks. Oh. And and with something as aggressive and as deadly as uh, pancreatic cancer, uh, when you do that, they, they the patient rapidly progresses to the point of no return, where you cannot treat them.
3: That's true. The average survival for an operable pancreatic cancer ranges from three to six months. And one of the requirements of the protocol is that patients had to be admitted for treatment within eight weeks of biopsy diagnosis. And I thought eight weeks was stretching it. That's a stretch, right. I thought it should have been two to four weeks, but they insisted eight weeks. Okay, fine. Well, Chabot entered patient after patient who was admitted beyond eight weeks, including one patient who was admitted 11 weeks after the biopsy.
2: Well, that well, we that almost uh, that almost approaches the uh, the expectable life expectancy of, uh, right. of a pancreatic cancer patient.
3: Now, during the during this, what he would do is he would just keep these patients off and waiting for weeks at a time. One patient, he kept waiting five weeks before he made a made his decision. Now, during that period, while patients were waiting to hear whether they were accepted into the trial or not, they were not receiving any treatment we couldn't treat them they weren't getting chemo they weren't getting any treatment at all and meanwhile it you know,
2: sounds like this sounds like slow murder torturing them to death you know it doesn't sound like uh, it doesn't sound like a, a scientific protocol it doesn't sound like a caring doctor it sounds like uh, using using patients to prove a point by killing them that's what it sounds like to me and I'm, i
3: may be wrong well um, I don't know what, you know, you never know what the motives are of somebody, but, boy, it made us ner- made us uh, anxious. There was one patient whom I describe in the book that sent us a desperate letter because he'd been waiting five weeks to hear sure. from Chabot, and he actually wanted to forget the study and just come as a private patient. Um, eventually, he was approved after five weeks of waiting, but by then his window of opportunity for response was already gone. Now, technically, he was admitted within eight weeks from biopsy, but just barely. And that's one of the things that we found repeatedly where patients would be kept waiting for weeks at a time before the Columbia team would make their decision about eligibility. And then they would be approved just before the eight week time limit had, had elapsed and they would be sent to us. Meanwhile, they, the disease had advanced. We had one patient who was kept waiting about four weeks and her disease just catastrophically advanced in that four week interval because pancreatic cancer can double in four weeks and kill you. You know, more.
2: It, you know it was so, it's so persistent and it was so consistent that it would see that i can't even imagine that it would be uh, an, an accident or incompetence i think it was intentional and malicious and but that's me you know i, I can't speak for you
3: well I, um, I can
2: i can't even imagine being on the other end of that on the wrong end of that your end and or worse the patient's end and and there aren't there offices in the federal government we want to need to talk about this there are offices in the federal government that are supposed to protect patient and guarantee the integrity of research
3: there are several offices. One of them is the Office of Human Research Protections, which is an NIH branch office whose sole goal or sole responsibility is to protect patients entered on clinical studies funded by the federal government. And in June of 2006, when we, when the study technically had closed, but we realized that so many patients who had been admitted inappropriately with, even without informed consent, which is just carelessness, but also patients who had been kept waiting weeks at a time were being counted as Gonzalez treatment failures. Patients who never even did the therapy were being counted as Gonzalez treatment Got
2: it. failures. I have to break in here. Um, I, I wanted. to I, I definitely want to explore this some more, um, but we're coming up on a break, Nick, and uh, and I have to I have to give the uh, uh, the network their time. Um, this is the Power of Natural Healing. Uh, I'm Howard Strauss, your host. Brought to you by the Gerson Health Media at gersonmedia.com uh, and, uh, and we're, we're having an incredible conversation with uh, Dr. Nick Gonzalez one of the greats, uh, today's greats of uh, alternative medicine and I say that without any uh, hyperbole at all uh, and I'm honored to have you on the show um, and uh, so we're, we're going to continue this conversation uh, just after the break please stay with us
4: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious
0: choice, greater health and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 11 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. Eleven Eleven 11 Talk Radio, because shift happens.
5: parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics.
4: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: You are listening to the power of natural healing with your host howard strauss to be a part of our discussion this week please call one eight six six four seven two five seven nine two. 472 5792 that's one 472 5792 you may also send an email to info at gersonmedia.com and now back to the power of natural healing
2: welcome back to the power of natural healing I'm Howard Strauss, your host. Uh, brought to you by Gerson Health Media at gersonmedia.com. We invite you to look in on the website and look at all of our fascinating information. By the way, we we are carrying uh, Dr. Gonzalez's book, "What Went Wrong," and uh, uh, an unbelievable uh, indictment of our of our government and the health agencies of our government. Uh, without really having to point fingers, just quoting them directly is almost a cheap shot. <laughs> Um, uh, Dr. Gonzalez, uh, and I hope you don't mind my calling you Nick. Sure, of Go course, on. we're friends. I, I hope so. Thank you. Um, uh, I wanted—I um, I wanted, I wanted specifically—you you were talking about the abuse of patients and the abuse of research and uh, the bias of research. Um, and one would one would think that uh, that the, the money that the government spends for research uh that they would have some kind of uh, some kind of uh, uh overview oversight uh in terms of scientific integrity and uh making sure that patients are treated uh treated safely and honorably when they uh when they take part in these uh, clinical trials which after all their lives are at stake
3: just as in theory the NCI and the NIH are supposed to care about scientific uh Progress and scientific truth. In theory, the NIH and the NCI do have oversight groups that are supposed to oversee any clinical study being funded by the NIH and the NCI. And they have an office, the Office of Human Research Protections and the Office of Research Integrity, that's supposed to do that. We learned about these offices actually through Dr. Isaac's sister, who was head of the research group at a major Midwestern medical school, who, when she heard about what was going on in the study, said you should approach the Office of Human Research Protections," and we did. And initially, even though I'm an alternative guy and I realized their bias would be against me and in favor of Columbia, they did open an investigation, and I provided them with you know, literally hundreds of pages of documents showing um, what perhaps was careless mistakes, like forgetting to do informed consent on a federally funded study, which is not a small thing for your listeners. That's required by law to have informed consent, and yet we found that Dr. Chabot wasn't doing consent properly, and some patients didn't have any evidence of it signed informed consent, and they'd been sent to us as if they did and we, we discovered that error. So there were lapses in judgment and lapses in you know, competence in terms of not getting informed consent properly, but then there were also the other issues like admitting patients when Chabot knew they were beyond the eight-week cutoff from biopsy or keeping patients waiting four or five weeks that we thought was just absolutely inappropriate. They did open an investigation and they spent two years in typical government fashion going through this, and apparently they turned a lot of the investigation over to Columbia, allowing the fox to guard the, fox, the, the hen house. And after two years, they did come out with a um, a finding that 42 out of 62 total patients had been improperly admitted into the trial. But they ignored a lot of other issues. Like they completely ignored the fact that patients were kept waiting four or five weeks with, you know, with terminal pancreatic cancer before they were accepted into the trial. that's, That's
2: almost, that's tantamount to a death
3: sentence. Yeah, it was. To keep a patient with pancreatic cancer, and, and, and the group of Columbia knew this. I mean, they're experienced physicians who deal with pancreatic cancer all the time. To keep patients waiting. For, I mean, I have desperate letters from patients saying, we haven't heard from columbia we, In one case, the patient actually wrote to Chabot after three weeks of not hearing, and Chabot never answered. And then two weeks later, he wrote to us saying, I'm desperate. Five weeks are passing, and I, I don't know what my status is. And meanwhile, I'm not being treated for my disease, and I know it's progressing. Hmm. So we tried to get in touch with Chabot, and he never uh, responded. Finally, he accepted the patient just as the eight-week cutoff was about to close. Yeah. And the patient, you know, was too sick. We did our best. He did his best. He was a really wonderful gentleman. We kept him alive about 15 months, but ultimately that we lost our window of opportunity to really turn him around. So we did file all these, uh, you know, these this information with the OHRP, and they did come up with a finding that 42 out of 62 patients had been improperly admitted, but too many issues were not adjudicated properly. There's a second group called the Office of Research Integrity in Washington that specifically looks at scientific fraud, and we filed, again, complaints with that group because, you know, if this was deliberate intent, that would constitute fraud. We couldn't prove that, and that was the job of ORI. Well, the ORI did absolutely nothing. They figured that I should be happy that the OHRP had found that 42 out of 62 patients were improperly admitted. But the OHRP does not have the power legislatively to investigate issues of deliberate intent, fraud, or malfeasance. They only can judge whether a study was run properly or whether the study followed the protocol requirements or whether patient entry was proper or not. And they found that it wasn't on all those accounts. But no one was willing to look into whether this was deliberate or whether it was fraudulent. So it was very a disappointing experience again to find that the government, which is supposed to have these oversight offices, I think they're more for public relations than anything else.
2: Well, you know, and, but public public relations. You know, if anybody, you know, if anybody really uh, found out about this, and and I hope I hope that people buy your book because uh, because it is exhaustively and carefully and thoroughly and in detail uh, recorded how these people just were callous and uncaring and literally vicious to, toward those patients whose lives they were costing. And yeah. uh, all for, for petty uh, uh, you know, jealousy or pride or ego or whatever, laziness, okay. incompetence, whatever it was. But nobody took any action to protect the patients whose lives they were affecting. And you know, it's not just the patient, but the family and the uh, you know, and the the whole community that the patient was was living in. What what that would say to me if I were a patient uh, that was uh, being invited into a um, into an uh, an NCI sponsored clinical study, I would run the other way. I would so much run the other way uh, that I would uh, just I would show them my back immediately. Because they 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 don't seem to care one whit about uh, about about the
3: um, the patient, not a bit. If you think about it, the Office of Research, the Office of Human Research Protections, was set up presumably because that's the title of the office to protect humans. But we didn't see much of that. Um, We thought it was kind of business as usual. They did give us some things because the mismanagement was so egregious, they just couldn't ignore it, and they knew that because I had documented it so well. But they really didn't come down hard. There was no real punishment for the team at Columbia there were no repercussions there. They were the, the Columbia team, this is a, an ironic victory, they were required to undergo training and research methodology based on the OHRP findings. So we do have this ironic situation where the alternative practitioners that wanted the study to be done properly was the conventional doctors, including people at the NIH and the NCI, who didn't see that it was run properly. And the Columbia team, had, this eminent Ivy League academic medical center, had to go undergo retraining in research methodology. <laughs> so we did cause some trouble and some embarrassment. But the issues of fraud and misconduct were never really appropriately adjudicated. Uh, to my surprise, the, as you know, the FDA eventually got involved. The FDA originally approved the study. Now, the FDA, I, I'm I understand completely being in the alternative world, the horrors that the you know the, the horrible stories you hear about the FDA, most of which are true. But in my case, we had a different experience for for whatever reason, and I don't really know. They approved our study very quickly within 60 days. You know, an NCI NIH study cannot proceed unless the FDA gives it its approval as well. And they didn't interfere, and there was no obstructionism. And I knew there were people at the FDA that really wanted the study to move ahead, so it did. And after the OHRP findings, the FDA, without my knowledge, got involved investigating the study and eventually came out with a report claiming, what supporting my contention, that the chief investigator, Dr. Chabot, didn't follow the written protocol, uh, didn't keep accurate or complete records, which is the essence of all clinical trial methodology. You have to keep accurate and complete records. He didn't do informed consent properly. So the major issues they did... Accept and they did uh, support our contentions. Except, Again, they did adjudicate... Aren't
2: those federal crimes?
3: Pardon me. Aren't those federal crimes? Well, I think if it's deliberate, it's a federal crime. It would be fraud. But no one at the NCI, the NIH, OHRP, ORI, or the FDA was willing to look in this to see whether this was deliberate to sabotage a useful treatment. Then no one's adjudicated that issue. We asked them, we even tried to get the inspector general involved, and they said, well, they don't think this rises to the level of criminal criminal activity. They did say they felt that there was um, wrongdoing that needed to be looked into, but they felt that it wasn't at a criminal level. You know, the inspector now general this, looked now into
2: Now, this is, this is important. It wasn't at a criminal level, and yet, the actions, the specific actions of Dr. Chabot, and that's C H A B O T for anybody who uh, who's interested uh, at, at Columbia University, the specific actions of Dr. Chabot, who had a clear and proven a conflict of interest, um, were costing your patients their lives. Were well, costing we, them we think- their lives by delay, by obfuscation, by by uh, in, improper uh, I- improper intake, and so forth. It was costing people their lives, and then there's no wrongdoing there? Is that, is that what you're saying?
3: Well, we think so, but you know, <laughs> no federal group has adjudicated that. We think admitted, admitting patients into this clinical study couldn't possibly do in our therapy was cruel to these patients. We objected repeatedly when patients were admitted who were too sick. We knew they couldn't do the therapy. We knew they couldn't eat. We knew they'd never be able to do it. How is that kind or compassionate? And, you know, I just approach medicine, I guess, in a different way. These are people that should, we would never accept into our pro- private practice. That was one of the ironies of the study. We were repeatedly asked to treat patients that we would never have accepted into our private practice because we knew these people could not possibly do our treatment. And that's not kind to these people. It's not it actually kind of was people, and it's, to people, uh, and it's
2: very, very damaging. But, you know, the damaging personally to you is one thing. But but what it what that the net result was that a was that a cancer therapy that has been very successful with other patients that could have easily been proven to be successful was kept from uh, was 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 kept from the
3: public by this by this sabotage. Yeah, even. Even though that, that's, that's true, interestingly enough, if you actually look at the data, you know, there were 39 patients ultimately admitted into the nutritional arm treated by Dr. Isaacs and myself. And maybe five or six actually did it fairly completely. And of that group, the two, two best compliers at the time the study ended in 2006 were the longest survivors by far. Of the One, whole study, including yeah, the, the study. control group. Yeah. Now, one actually lasted a little, over two and a half years with multiple lesions in the liver, and she quit the study to go do chemo at the encouragement of her oncologist. So there was interference from. It's a whole other story. The way oncologists undermined patient care on the study of the nutrition patients. And the other one lasted three and a, three and a half years, but and eventually died not from cancer, but because of an infection from the chemotherapy, which is, well, not, which is no, not, a, uh, not an
2: unusual uh, occurrence. Nick, we have to cut away again to uh, to a break. Uh, and after the break we'll have uh we'll have a slightly shorter uh shor- shorter period um, so maybe you could gather your thoughts as to what you'd like to say in the last 10 minutes of the um, uh, of the show uh we're this is uh, the the power of natural healing um, brought to you by Gerson health media at gersonmedia.com, where by the way you will be able to purchase uh, nick gonzalez's book uh what went wrong um, on our books section And um, I recommend that for any patient considering going into a clinical trial, uh, for any uh, doctor considering uh, participating in a clinical trial, unless, of course, he's backed by gazillions of dollars of pharmaceutical company money. Um, uh, uh, So this is Howard Strauss, your host, and uh, we will get back to Nick Gonzalez right after the break. Uh, we're having a fascinating and disturbing conversation with, uh, with Dr. Gonzalez, uh, who will be returning uh, with me right after the break.
4: A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness.
5: Do you know the four major principles to healthy living? If we incorporate these principles in our everyday decisions, we could all live better and healthier lives. Tune in to The Joys of Healthy Living with your host, Dr. Ed Dodge. By tuning in each week, you can learn about the four principles for healthy living and how to incorporate them into your life. Dr. Dodge and his guest experts will share tips and discoveries from every aspect of health. The Joys of Healthy Living is broadcast live every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Ready for a revolution in diet and health? Confused about what to eat and how to prioritize your health concerns? Let's turn conventional wisdom on its head and rethink the old rules. Good health means real food, sound sleep, great supplements, and the right exercise join holistic nutritionist beverly meyer for the primal diet modern health show she'll help you rewrite your human owner's manual tune in wednesdays at 9 a.m pacific time 12 noon eastern on the voice america health and wellness channel
4: opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness
2: Um, brought to you by Gerson Health Media at gersonmedia.com, where we will be carrying uh, Dr. Gonzalez's book "What Went Wrong," uh, as well as his other uh, his other literature, uh, "The Trophoblast and the Origins of Cancer," uh, "One Man Alone," and uh, uh, you know, Dr. Dr. Gonzalez has, has, has really taken off uh, in publishing publishing books. He's uh, and they're great books. Great books. Um, uh, Nick. You've been you've been telling us just uh, you know incredible stories about the corruption uh, and and incompetence uh, at our government's health agencies, but 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 it's worse than that because we're talking about uh, a potential cancer cure that you have shown uh, works in in your in in a clinical setting, but uh, but that of course you know with with massive sabotage cannot be proven to work. Um, but but you've proven it to work enough to the satisfaction of your your patients who who survived long term this this amounts to the government keeping off the market uh, a a a potential cure for cancer that uh, that could save hundreds of thousands millions of people uh which sounds to me like massive uh massive mass murder rather than uh, rather than science rather than uh rather than Uh, careful and uh, caring
3: doctors. Well, as I said to you during the break, my mother-in-law, who's very smart, read the book, and she was just horrified. She said it's like a mini-holocaust where patients were being allowed to essentially die. That patients who couldn't possibly do the therapy were being given false hope and you were forced to treat them, knowing that you couldn't help them. That patients with a history of severe mental illness were being entered, even though the protocol precluded such patients. And it wasn't to their benefit. She said, "Like a mini Holocaust." It is. And you know, that's interesting. That's been the response we've gotten. You know, on the positive side, though, and to show how, in a sense, to show how sad it is, but to give a positive, upbeat ending to this, one of the forwards. We have two forwards to the book. One written by a very eminent uh, stress researcher, Paul Roche, whose wife died of pancreatic cancer getting chemo. And he's upset because he said he didn't really know about my treatment when she was first diagnosed, and he feels that had the study been done properly, people like his wife would have survived. And the other one was written by a patient with pancreatic cancer uh, diagnosed. She comes from Denver, was diagnosed locally and then confirmed at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, she actually initially applied to be part of the clinical study, and Chabot approved her, and she flew to New York, and during his meeting with her face-to-face, suddenly decided she wouldn't be acceptable to the study because there was a possibility she could have surgery, and that precluded her entry into the study. So it's interesting. He allowed many patients into the study who didn't meet the criteria, and here's one who we felt did meet the criteria, whom he excluded. But we ultimately, she was devastated because she thought if she wasn't part of the trial, she couldn't be treated by us, but we could treat people off trial if they were rejected by Chabot. So we treated her as a private patient, and that was, she started with us in the spring of 2001, and 11 years later, 11 and a half years later, she's alive well and leading a completely normal life and leading a health, a health seminar at her local church. I mean, she's seen her grandkids grow up, 11-year survivor. within. She had no surgery, no chemo, no radiation, just treated by us. And that patient alone shows the power of the therapy, the power of natural therapies.
2: Absolutely. And we can point to uh, similar, uh, similar cases, a fair number of them. And, yeah. uh, you, you know, with this, you say, you say it's a mini-Holocaust but I, I don't even think it's many because <clears throat> at, uh, where, with, uh, with hundreds of thousands of people annually dying of these chronic diseases that you have had success with, that we have had success with, um, and when you multiply that out by the number of years uh, going backwards into the past that they have been suppressing such cures, and Dr. Gerson, of course, was being suppressed 50 years ago. So yeah. you multiply that by 50 years, and uh, it's not a mini-Holocaust. It's, it's, it's,
3: major it's worse Holocaust. than the
2: Holocaust. There's more people dying than in the Holocaust.
3: Yeah, I mean, the NCI had an opportunity to do the right thing with Dr. Gerson during the 1940s and chose to walk away. I, I just think what would have happened had the NCI jumped on Dr. Gerson's therapy and supported it properly, it could have opened a whole other direction of research. Instead, they went on this chemotherapy route that has led to nothing. In fact, you probably saw it just last week. There was a major article about why chemotherapy fails most of the time. It's you know, it's cat's out of the hat. You know, it, it so
2: people... fails. It fails. Uh, you know, in terms of the patient, but it doesn't fail as far as the pharmaceutical companies and the uh, and the hospitals and doctors and the profit centers are.
3: It's a self perpetuating industry. I mean, the American Cancer Society with a seven hundred million dollar annual budget, a billion over a billion dollars in assets. The NCI with a six billion dollar budget.
2: There are people. Well, you who... have to remember who, who founded the American Cancer Society. <laughs> oh
3: yeah, John D.
2: All... Rockefeller.
3: It was all yeah, all petrochemical dollars. There's no question about that's it. That's right. And, of course, the, the private drug industry people are very much involved with the NCI, and it, it, it's a revolving door, door as Dr. Rose said in his, his forward. So there's no question it's a self-perpetuating industry. I mean, cancer medicine is a big industry. And my goal in life is to get rid of cancer so I can go off and do something else, like become an organic farmer. Yeah. The greatest thing for me would be there's no more cancer on Earth. And
2: that would be, and for us too. That, that's, that's our goal, is to put ourselves out of business but that is not the goal of, uh, of Pfizer or Merck.
3: You know, it's, it's interesting. When you read Dr. Beard's work from 100 years ago, I mean, Beard published his first article on pancreatic enzymes as an anti-cancer agent in 1902, and he was vilified by the profession. There was nothing different then than, than with Dr. Gerson 45 years later or with us today. 100 years, nothing's changed. And the tragedy is had. Had the medical community been open-minded, fair-minded enough to follow up on Beard's results, and he had animal studies and clinical results showing his enzymes worked back 100 years ago, had they been willing to follow up on Gerson and Kelly and with us, the research world would have had a much more productive way of going instead of this failed chemotherapy 50-year adventure that's led to absolutely nothing.
2: But you see what happens when you step outside the box and try and do something actually worthwhile.
3: But fortunately, you know, the the House of Court is beginning to collapse. People are just getting fed up with hearing, you know, every spring when the NCI has to appeal for more money from Congress, they come out with all the press releases about the new miracle targeted therapies right around the corner. I mean, how many times can you say that over the last 50 years before people start yawning at it? And I think that's what's starting to happen. And we're starting to hear about the dangers of CAT scans and the fact that Avastin didn't work for breast cancer and ERISA didn't work for lung cancer and that chemotherapy doesn't work for most cancers. And, you know, it's starting to get out there on the Internet You know, they can't keep it quiet the way they could 50 years ago with the Internet now. People have that information accessible, and hopefully that will lead to change. But I'll tell you, the, the government agencies, uh, the idea that these people care about scientific truth, getting patients, well, I, I, I haven't seen that in my experience. If there's somebody there in the NCI and the NIH interested in those things, I'm, I'm sure they exist, but I just haven't met them yet.
2: Well, that's so, why that's why I call the FDA the Fraud and Death Administration. <laughs>
3: Yeah yeah that's that's true i mean a lot of people have their, have their beef with that um, but it's yeah they're just not they're basically concerned about their own careers their own egos their own career advancement those kind of things what was very interesting when the study was collapsing there was one oncologist from columbia that kind of had a an open mind about all of us and he knew that we were getting people on our private practice so he asked us to present every three months we had to have a meeting up at columbia where the people from washington would fly up and he asked us to present ten of our own cases so isaacs and i spent a lot of time putting together a monograph with ten of our own private practice patients with properly diagnosed pancreatic cancer live five and ten years later with regression of disease all the things you need we had the records there uh... we wrote up the case reports and at the next meeting we presented it and there were like twelve people in the room And the the man who had asked me to do this started looking at the cases, flipping through it, and we had a monograph for everyone there. We had like 15 copies made up. And he said, wow, these are good cases. And everyone just, everyone else just gave him these dirty looks and scowls, and not one of the other people in that room said another word. Because these meetings actually were documented, and they didn't want to go on record saying anything nice about me. So he shut up, and not one of those people said one now, when I say they didn't say a word, I mean, it's not like I said, oh, thanks for doing it. They didn't even thank me for doing it. They didn't say, wow, these – I mean, I, I was presenting cases <laughs> five and ten years out, and what it was was just anger. And I suspect some of it – you know, one of my friends said it sounds like they were jealous. They, here they are from the NCI and the NIH, and they can't do what you're doing. You're That's crazy exactly guy that right. Nick,
2: Nick we, have to, we have to cut it, uh, cut it short here now. Uh, you've, it's, been, it's been a fantastic uh, interview, and I urge people, strongly urge people – to get uh what went wrong by Nick Gonzalez M um, D and uh and and read it. It's an amazing book. If you're a doctor, if you're a researcher, if you're a patient, uh you've got to read this before you uh participate in any kind of a clinical trial or any kind of government uh, government funding. Uh the incompetence, the cruelty, the uh uh and, and the, the maliciousness uh, of, of the government is just legendary, legendary. And uh, and and Nick puts it all out there in their own words, in their own words, in, in documents, and correspondence, and and um, uh, emails uh, throughout the study um, in in what went wrong. Nick, thank you so much for having uh, been on the show and sharing this with our audience. This is fantastic information.
3: Well, again, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be able to talk about these things because it's so important that this word get out there. So thanks it for the definitely opportunity.
2: definitely is, and I'm doing my best, and I know you are too. So uh, thank you so much for being on the show. This is The Power of Natural Healing, uh, sponsored by Gerson Health Media at gersonmedia.com. We can look in on our website and see all the wonderful stuff we have for you. It's honest information. Uh, it's, it's stuff you need, stuff you can use to improve your health. This is Howard Strauss, your host. Join us next week, please, for uh, Dr. Brad Case, um, author of Thugs, Drugs, and the War on Bugs. Uh, Until then, be well.